time for our weekly COVID update. Here is vaccine researcher and family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who joins us each and every Wednesday. Dr. Gorfinkel, very good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. All right, we're going to start this week with news out of North Korea, where they are claiming recovery from their latest COVID wave. But Dr. Gorfinkel, there's concerns being raised amongst the World Health Organization over missing data. And they're asking questions about how roughly a million people could have recovered so quickly. Well, let's put it this way. They're talking about one million cases in one city. This is Pyongyang, where one in three people are now infected. So you can ask, what set the stage for, we can describe it as an explosive outbreak. What set the stage for that? Well, we have a supreme leader, Kim Jong-un, with no transparency, in a widely unvaccinated population, with no access to testing, and a poor healthcare system. So we've got the perfect storm. You know, and these are the number of cases we're being told about. Now, the true estimate is health experts are estimating that the true estimate may be three times that number. So what's the response? Nationwide lockdowns. Big people, big numbers of people are being told not to leave home. And this is a serious problem because more cases means you finish that sentence. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, this is a real concern, right, for the rest of the world, because we're concerned, obviously, about further spread, but also the possibility of new variants. More variants, absolutely. And it's not like the World Health Organization hasn't tried to step in. You know, the UN-backed COVAX has offered aid. They've offered vaccinations through their AstraZeneca and mostly the Chinese-made vaccinations. In other words, Canada's rejects and other countries' rejected vaccinations, which probably would not have helped all that much to, to, to stave it off. But let's face it, it probably would have helped to keep the number of hospitalizations and deaths there down. But we really don't even know how many people are dying from that disease. Unfortunately, it, it's just shrouded in secrecy. All right. Uh, meantime, uh, most of us, we have seen the uh, scene at airports right across the country, like at uh, Pearson in Toronto, these uh, long lineups and uh, delays through uh, security checks. And we've heard uh, Dr. Gorfinkel from the Canadian Airports Council, and they are blaming the COVID protocols that the uh, federal government uh, has uh, yet to do anything with. Uh, random testing, uh, for example, and public health questions at customs. They're pointing the finger at that as being the reason for the delay, and they they're asking for those measures to be lifted. Is it time, do we think, that as travel has ramped up to lift these COVID protocols? Well, quite possibly. You know, it's, it's hard to say 100%. You look at Ontario, wastewater signals are down. Test positivity is down. Case positivity is down. Hospitalizations, I see all down. And it's warm weather. And we're well vaccinated. So these are all good reasons to let down the guard a little bit. I wouldn't let down the guard on masking, but perhaps the random testing. Take a look at test positivity. About a month ago, one in 25 cases was testing positive. Now that number is close to one in 100. So the case positivity, these are the random tests we're doing. So it, it is pretty low, but it isn't zero. And I'm concerned about what's going to happen in the fall. But for now, that seems like a reasonable request. You know, if you look at last Sunday, what happened? 120 flights 
were waiting anywhere between 20 and 60 minutes on the tarmac so that they wouldn't have to face those huge lineups, you know, in, in, when getting into Toronto. It's a, it, so that's a bit of an issue. Now, to be fair, that's about one out of 10 flights on an average day. But still, it, it's a considerable amount of waiting that people have to do. Mm-hmm. And for sure, that will impact tourism, conferences, sporting events here. Yeah, without a doubt. And listen, this is something we've covered over the last uh, two, three weeks or so. And some people are blaming uh, staffing levels uh, for this as well. But just from a public health standpoint, uh, you would say that uh, now is the time or at least we should be having that uh, discussion that uh, COVID levels are at a point right now where we could look at lifting some of these uh, protocols if indeed they are adding to the delays. I believe that they can be lifted, but if they're lifted, what we should be doing in addition is literally handing out N95 masks in the airport so that people can wear them. Understand, the lineups, people are congregating, so there's a cost to people waiting for long periods of time. You know, and a lot more people are now traveling now that the numbers are lower. And, you know, when we keep passengers waiting on planes, when we keep people in airports longer, shoulder to shoulder, standing, and we've seen those lineups. And those are concerning because that by itself can spread disease and take low numbers and turn them into much higher numbers. All right. Next, we're going to talk about a subject you and I have uh, actually spoken about uh, several times over the, the last year anyways, which is long COVID as we continue to learn more and more about uh, COVID and its uh, effects and sometimes lingering effects. And what can you tell us, Dr. Gorfinkel, about this study that says uh, half of patients hospitalized with COVID still experiencing at least one symptom some two years later? Yeah, you have to hand it to these researchers. They really are sticking to these people. So they looked at over a thousand people and they looked at them at six months, one year and two years. And basically they followed them up in person with physical examinations, with walking tests, lab tests, quality of life and mental health testing. So this is a lot of work. And what did they learn? A lot of people are still pretty sick even two years after hospitalization. So this is a disease that cannot be underestimated. It is a complex multi-system disease. And what do we see most frequently? Over half had long COVID of the people hospitalized. This is at the two-year mark. One in three complain of sleep difficulties. Fatigue is a major problem for these individuals. One in four are still seeing their doctor. And compare that to, this is age-matched people, people that are the same age with the same comorbidities. That number is one in 10. You know, so way more of them are seeing doctors and more often. And that's at the two-year point. So I ask you, have we included that in our cost metrics? Long COVID is, is usually, it's the forgotten disease of the, of the pandemic. It truly is. Because we don't hear about that in, in the metrics. We don't see that on the scoreboards or anything like that. The dashboards always include hospitalizations, deaths, and admissions. But now we're coming to realize that the costs of long COVID in the long run will far exceed those of the hospitalizations that we so carefully count now. So what is the message here then, Dr. Gorfinkel? Is this just another reminder for all of us to remain vigilant that you might have you know, COVID uh, fatigue And is this also a a reminder to those that think, hey, it's only a matter of time before I get it. Uh, Just let me get it and get it over with. Uh, This is a a reminder, again, that uh, you really don't want this. 
Well, we still need the data on how many people are going to suffer from long COVID from Omicron. Omicron, it's hard to hasn't been around long enough to understand that data well. We know the numbers from previous variants was around 1 in 10, and that's for individuals not hospitalized. This data set refers to individuals who actually came out of hospital. So understand, that's a sicker group to begin with. And that's why the numbers are so high for long COVID. For those folks, over half of them are going to suffer from long COVID two years after being hospitalized. Now, to be fair, this is the original variant, and it's also prior to being vaccinated. No one was vaccinated in the time that this study had begun. And that's a critical point because vaccines lessen the severity of COVID-19. So we can't just take that information and move that information into the time of Omicron when much of the population has, in fact, been vaccinated. All right. We'll step aside. We'll get a quick break and more ahead here with vaccine researcher and family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel joining us. We're back after this. Hi, it's Shauna. And I might be a bad parent because my kids think French fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan. And I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink. 